Welcome back to Your Dig. How's everybody's week been since I last talked at you? It's great. Good to hear it. Um, starting two minutes late here today because I longboard here, and believe it or not, it is so windy outside here that it took me, I think, three minutes longer than it usually does just because, just because it was so windy. I guess the wind really affects you when you're longboarding. It was just blown against me so hard the entire time that my wheels were just slowing down. I couldn't roll nearly as quickly. Um, I'm actually a little bit out of breath still because of that. All right. Um, so I got some stuff here planned to uh, talk to you guys about. I'll start with uh, more longboarding stuff because it's awesome and fun. Um, if any of you are looking for a great way to work out, um, longboard to your nearest gas station and buy a 24-pack of water or two. Uh, that's what I did at about 11.30 last night. Made a quick trip to the quick trip just down the road from Eagle Hall. It's really not too far of a hike. With a longboard, it's not bad at all. Um, I think the round trip was only like 15 minutes. However, it was incredibly strenuous holding two cases of 24 bo- 48 water bottles. I was holding 48 water bottles while longboarding. Um, I managed to get one on my back by borrowing a larger backpack from my roommate. Um, and then I and then I did it. And I had the other one in my arms. And my arms were killing me by the time I got back. Uh, my legs really weren't doing too bad, probably because I was on wheels. But the motion of kind of swaying my arms, swinging that pack back and forth while I was, you know, kicking the board was very tiring. <laughs> my arms hurt. Um, actually, they're still, they're like slightly sore from that. I think it was that. I don't know. I shot some hoops yesterday, too, so it could be that. I don't think my arms are sore from that. I think it's the water bottles and the longboarding, but, uh, you know, who knows? All right, so let's see. I have some stuff written down here. I'm pulling up the file right now. Um, today, I'm going to talk to you guys. We're going to get philosophical, okay? We're going to get all Socrates tonight. Uh, we're going to talk about some paradoxes. Some of the most interesting paradoxes I've found. Um, and maybe some potential solutions for them. Uh, you guys can feel free to call in at any moment to talk about really whatever you want to. But uh, it will, you know, help the show flow more smoothly if you talk about stuff that I'm also talking about. Um, yeah, so I'll just read the number first. And then maybe after talking about some other stuff, I'll read it again. For those of you that maybe don't catch it, the first, the number is 608-785-8080. That is 608-785-8080. All right, dope. Um, Oh, here's, okay, so actually first, I have a story for you guys. Um, The other day, I was taking out the trash, 
and I had my first experience um, uh, walking in on some people. Um, I was I was walking from my dorm to the dumpsters, which are on the outside of Eagle Hall, on like the other side of the building, um, kind of at the intersection between the gray side and the maroon side of Eagle Hall, just kind of the two wings of the building. Um, so usually to get there, you know, you go downstairs and then you just walk over to the door that goes right out to the dumpster. But I decided, hey, there's a staircase not that far away from that door. So I will just walk on my floor over to that staircase. And in doing so, um, I came across this little area that I think I've been in once before, um, that is not frequently traveled. It is, um, just this little kind of passageway almost kind of room um between uh, there's a door on either end but people coming from gray will just come out the gray door and go right down those steps people coming from maroon will come out their door walk across go down the steps but people never come from maroon because they'll usually go downstairs first because there's a there's like three staircases between the maroon side and where the dumpsters are if you guys are following me. I don't know if you are. Um, but basically, the this place um, has this large table that is between the two doors um, through which you can access this little area. And it's around a corner from both, both doors. So this little area is not visible from anywhere unless you, like, walk into it, like, walk through it. Um... So I had my two trash bags and I was, you know, I was walking through, I opened the door um, and I am met by the sound of uh, some groans followed by voices that were clearly engaged in some, some role play. Okay, I was going to turn around and um, just let these, let these people have their fun without interruption, uh, but I've got to be honest. I'm a big fan of role-playing myself. So instead, I, I turn the corner and I look right at them. Um, surprisingly, they didn't notice me at all right away. So after a few seconds of just standing there awkwardly, just watching these people uh, play with each other, the, the dungeon master finishes his calculations that he was doing previously, and he says, Wow, you guys actually did it. The ancient red dragon falls dead and his minions scatter in fear. And this was, of course, met with a roar of triumphant celebration from the players, at which point they noticed me standing there watching them, smiling. Uh, before things get too awkward, I explained that I, too, am a big fan of Dungeons & Dragons, uh, and that this was the first time I'd stumbled upon other people playing since I've been in college. Um, yeah, it was really the first time I had walked in on, on a session, a D&D &D session, um, for quite some time, really. It's really only happened, I think, once before um, in, my, in my life. And it wasn't even walking in on a session. It was just walking in on, or walking by a room in which some people were playing uh, back in high school. <laughs> ah, okay. I'm sorry for those of you that didn't like that bit. I thought it was funny. All right, so another thing. This is cool. We're uh, we're prepping for Thanksgiving. It's coming up just next week. People are making plans to go home, finding some ride shares, begging their parents to come pick them up. 
um, hitchhiking, gearing up for a long walk, you know, um, and Whitney Center, the place that we get our food from here at University of La Crosse, largely, um, had a Thanksgiving feast today, which was really good and really cool. I walked in, and the line was extra long. I was confused as to why it was so long and why it was taking so long to to get these people through the line. And it's because every person that walked up to get their card swiped to like go into the, the cafeteria area uh, was being asked if they wanted to use an extra swipe to have a Thanksgiving feast. Um, and it's kind of weird because this was at lunch today, and I went back for dinner, and the Thanksgiving feast wasn't still going. So I guess the Wednesday before the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, they did a Thanksgiving feast for lunchtime. Um, oh well, I mean I'm not complaining because I got a piece of it. Um, anyways, yeah, uh, extra swipe. Even though we have unlimited, I think it was more for a guest kind of thing. If you had a guest, you'd have to pay extra to get them their Thanksgiving meal. Um, but it was great, you know, I got through the line, took a little while, uh, I, I did the extra swipe and I got my receipt, and then I walked over and, you know, they, they serve you, it's cafeteria style, and they had turkey, gravy, the uh, cheesy hash brown mixed kind of things, and green bean casserole, stuffing, of course, these nice buns with butter, uh, they had cranberry sauce, they had jello, they had, uh, and for turkey, they had both light meat and dark meat, like, separately, which was pretty cool. Um, and then they had uh, some sweet potatoes, and the dessert table was a bunch of pies. So just awesome. You know, I mean, classic Thanksgiving meal. Uh, and it was really good, too. I mean, it, it's not as good as the home-cooked Thanksgiving feast, you know. Nothing can really beat the, the home-cooked stuff. I think that families all kind of have their traditions kind of locked down, you know, they got the, they got the formula for the best food all figured out at this point, they've had a couple generations to figure it out, and I think largely they've done it, um, Whitney, however, isn't quite there, maybe this is the first gen Thanksgiving feast at Whitney, who knows, uh, it was good though, again, I'm not complaining, I had a, a full plate of Thanksgiving feast, People would walk up and just say, oh, you know, I'll have like that and that. I just walked up and said, nah, nah, man, give me everything. I want every single thing that is up here. Not necessarily a lot of each thing, but I want to try all of it. And the guy just kind of looked at me, raised one eyebrow. You're going to skin it for all that, man. He didn't say that, but he was thinking that. Um, anyways, I got it, and I ate it all, and it was really good. So, kudos to Whitney for doing a Thanksgiving feast on the Wednesday before the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. At lunchtime. All right. Um, let's talk about some paradoxes. So here's the first one that I found. The paradox revolves around a classic uh, Disney character. Uh, the puppet that thinks he's real and really also wants to be real. Uh, Pinocchio. The paradox is very simple. It's just if Pinocchio were to say the phrase my nose will grow now. Right? Because for those of you who don't understand Pinocchio's whole deal, he, he has this nose that grows when he lies. 
right? When, whenever he, t- he says something that isn't the truth, his nose grows outward. It doesn't get like fatter. It, it goes like straight out. And, you know, that's like his whole thing. He's a puppet. He has a nose that grows. And he wants to be a real boy. So the, the paradox is what will happen if he says, my nose will grow now. Because, of course, if this statement is true, then it won't grow. However, that, if it doesn't grow, makes the statement false, in which case it will grow. But if it grows, then the statement's true. And it's just this this never-ending cycle, right? He says, my nose will grow now. What if it grows? Well, that means that the thing was a lie. But it's not really a lie if his nose grows, because the statement was just, my nose will grow now. But if it doesn't grow, then it was a lie, which will cause it to grow, which will cause it to be the truth, which will cause it not to. So maybe as soon as he says that, the nose will just start moving in and out and in and out, you know, longer, shorter, longer, shorter, as fast as his brain can process what he just said. I think that's what, I think I just solved the paradox until he says something else, you know? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think that's all I really have to say about that one. Pinocchio, everybody. Um, Okay, so next, we have the classic time travel type stuff, right? So, like, if you went back in time and you offed one of your ancestors, you know, you killed, like, your great-great-great-grandfather or something, or your great-great-grandfather, then effectively you would cease to exist, right? You know, that's back to the future. They just kind of fade away into nothingness. However, if you cease to exist, then you never would have existed to go back in time and kill that person, in which case they would have lived their life as normal, the timeline wouldn't have been disrupted, and you would have came to be up until the moment that you decided to go right back in time and off one of your ancestors. Like the piece of crap you are. So, why, just what? What and why? It's a paradox, everybody. Nobody knows. Um, you know, I, let me see if I can solve this one. I think what would happen, let's say you find a time machine, you go back in time, and the first thing that you think of doing, going back in time, of all the things you could do, of all the things you could see, all the pieces of history that you could experience for yourself, you think, now I'm going to break time, I'm going to kill one of my ancestors, and then you do it. I think what happens is, you immediately find yourself right back in the moment just before you traveled back in time with no recollection of anything that happened right after you like tried to kill your ancestor, right? I think that this would be time's way of, of fixing itself. There's, there's theories that were time travel possible, if this sort of thing were to happen time would have its own sort of defense mechanisms in that you would not be able to kill your ancestor. Like, as soon as you thought of that, something would happen, you wouldn't be able to do it. Um, Or, you know, as soon as you tried to do it, like, you wouldn't be able to. No matter what happened, circumstances in that period of time would prevent you from doing it. That's its defense mechanism. I think the defense mechanism is time would remain constant, but it would just shift you around in it. You know, it would just yeet you right back to where you started and not tell you what happened. 
So you can just keep doing this in an infinite loop. However, you remember going back in time, maybe with the goal of killing an ancestor because you're a piece of crap, but then you can't remember anything after that, and eventually you'll get the hint from time that you shouldn't be doing that, that it can't be done. You know, because it doesn't make sense. As soon as you do it, logic just breaks, and time just breaks. So, yeah, I think I just solved another one. Um, let's move on. Again, you guys feel free to call at any moment and tell me if you think that something else would happen. Like, first-person experience-wise, what would happen if you were in these paradoxes? Um, okay, so here's another one. You know what? Before I move on to the other one, back to the time thing. Another kind of time paradox. Not so much paradox. Um, largely, people believe that time travel is impossible, at least moving backwards in time. Because if, you, if it were possible, physically, one would assume that somebody would have done it, you know? If at no point in history people have experienced somebody who has been a traveler of time, then theoretically nobody in the future has traveled back, right? Um, of course, you know, you could speculate ways around that. Maybe in the future there is time travel backwards and you can't you know, there's like a dark, maybe we're in like the dark ages. Maybe everything from the beginning of man until now, not even the beginning of man, just the beginning of like recorded history or well-recorded history until now is considered the crappy times. So nobody, you know, they don't allow people. Maybe the government then prevents people from coming back. And I mean, let's be real. If time travel is ever discovered, there's probably very little chance that it's not going to be seriously regulated by some sort of, you know, higher power in society, like a government of some sort, or even just a business. Um, that said, there are so many points in history, you know, with regard to geography, like where things are happening, and just like time, pieces of time that are not documented, you know, like... Maybe there is a time traveler somewhere, and they went to, like, you know, remote Cambodia or, you know, somewhere deep in the jungles of the Congo that there just aren't really people. And, or maybe there are people, but, you know, their stories aren't really reflected to the rest of society, the world, the global society, you know? So, who really knows? I can't really solve that one. But uh, I hope it's sparking some interesting thoughts in all of your brains. Alright, next is speculating on our universe and alien life, right? Because one of the underlying assumptions in astronomy right now, from what I understand, is that Earth is not an uncommon, it's not an uncommon type of planet. Like, our terraformed, so to speak, little orb in our solar system is not super uncommon. The universe is so vast, containing, you know, billions of galaxies, each galaxy containing billions of stars, each star containing probably multiple things, you know, orbiting around it, it's just not that uncommon 
for planets like Earth to develop. Um, and furthermore, it is considered not that uncommon for life to develop in the way that it has here. Uh, the reason that it has developed the way that it has is because of, uh, you know, specific chemical bonding, specific patterns in chemistry, eventually becoming more complex molecules, macromolecules, uh, you know, and then it gets, it gets more complex. It becomes biochemistry is the realm that it evolves into. And once you get there, things continue building on each other, and eventually you have these organisms. And then over millions and millions of years, which in the, in the grand scheme of the galaxy is really just a blink of an eye, you have intelligent life. So, um, from a perspective of this astronomical assumption that Earth is a pretty common type of planet and that our uh, life pattern, so to speak, is a pretty common um, occurrence in the universe, which is considered the mediocrity principle, um, that there's really nothing cosmically unique about us, um, then why haven't we found any sort of, uh, sign of other life? You know? NASA's Kepler satellite has found evidence that there are probably 11 billion Earth-like planets in just our galaxy. And like I said, there are billions of galaxies in the United States. So 11 billion times a couple billion, you get a lot of things that could be kind of like us. You'd think that one of those things would have developed some sort of technology that could allow them to, if not move from, from place to place quickly and move about the cosmos with ease, at least, at least put off some sort of signature in the universe that we could pick up on. Um... And, you know, there's, there's a lot of theories as to why we don't see uh, any of these signatures. Um, you know, I mean, like, for us, our civilization is noisy. And the speculation is that all civilizations would be noisy. You know, humanity broadcasts TV and radio signals that are unmistakably artificial, per se. Uh, you know... A civilization like ours should leave evidence that we would find. Uh, but, I mean, I guess it's just that. Let's assume that there are a lot of other, quote, terraformed planets like Earth, billions of them. Let's assume that on just a small percentage of those planets, life developed similar to the way that it did here. And let's just say that on a small percentage of those, it developed pretty supreme intelligence like it did here. And let's say that a small percentage of those went the route similar to what we did in building things and focusing on communication across that planet with ease, you know, so that we're, uh, so that these, these beings are connected so that they can connect their, their thoughts, their intelligence to one another, uh, so as to promote the spread and the growth of ideas as we have then you would assume that they're doing it in a similar way that we are, radio waves and whatnot. That's our basic understanding of the universe, and that's why we've done it this way. However, one could also speculate that, let's say the small percentage of the planets that harbored a small percentage of 
you know, intelligent life like us, of which a small percentage went the route that we did in development of society and civilization, who's to say that they perceive the universe in the same way that we do and that they came to the same conclusions with regard to how to communicate effectively? Because if you think about it, communication is, is really the only thing that leaves any sort of trace that we could pick up on. It's radio waves, <laughs> microwaves, um, you know, other satellite signals, um, TV waves, you know, and signals. Who's to say that they did that? Of course, the, the, the theory, the paradox, is that you'd think of all the billions and billions, at least one would have done that, and we should pick up on that. Now, I don't know the science behind a lot of this stuff. You know, I don't know how accurate we are able to read radio waves from light years away. Because let's say let's say one is pretty close to what we are, right? And they're using radio waves and, and TV waves to communicate with each other. And let's say they haven't really moved off their planet, but they're on the opposite side of the galaxy. Like, can we pick up those radio waves? And if we could, then theoretically those waves would have been from quite some time ago, if I'm not mistaken, because they're going to be traveling at the speed of light, which, you know, things are measured in, in like light years in the cosmos and a lot of light years. Um, yeah, I should have looked into this. Like a star on the other side of the galaxy, how many light years away? Is, like how wide is the Milky Way galaxy? It's definitely like thousands. It's probably millions of light years, I'd think thousands tens of thousands hundreds of thousands you know somewhere in there at least um <laughs> i just gave i know it's more than hundreds because there's planets that like we're considering maybe you know considering for some sort of colonization in the far off future that are that are like 50 to 100 light years um from what i understand Anyways, um, yeah, so why haven't we picked up any sort of, you know, signs of intelligent life? Um, apparently, the physicist Enrico Fermi, uh, for whom this paradox was named, simply asked, where are they? In the middle of a lunchtime discussion with his colleagues at NASA. Uh, one resolution of the paradox challenges the above idea that Earth is common and it's... Yeah, one second. Sorry, I had to go to get a, get a quick drink of water. Um, anyways, yeah, so one resolution to this paradox is that um, Earth really isn't as common as the mediocrity principle entails, and that really Earth is a, a very, very, very small percentage of, of what most planets are like in the galaxy and in the universe. Um, and I mean, of course it is. There's, like, there's a lot of other options for planets. But just even given that the scope of the universe is so big that there would still be a lot of Earth-like things. Um, I digress, though. So back to this, this other resolution. 
um, it's really, really uncommon, like extremely rare in the universe to have uh, a, 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 quote, terraform planet like the one that we do and to have life develop in the way that it has here, uh, much less higher intelligence and self-awareness sort of stuff um, to develop as it is here. Uh, and that would kind of explain why maybe we haven't found any traces, you know? Maybe the nearest people, you know, or, or beings similar to us are, you know, three galaxies over. And there's no way that we're going to be able to pick up on any of their radio waves or TV waves, you know, because if they had any of those being emitted off of their little planet, by the time they reached us, it would have been millions of years ago that they were transmitted. But still, one would ask that if, you know, if, if any civilizations like that were to exist anywhere, at some point, we would, you know, find some, some waves, you know, receive some transmitted waves from somewhere because, you know, let's say it had happened millions of years ago. Like I said, that's still just a blink of an eye in the scope of the universe. So, who's to say that it didn't happen and you know, that in the scope of the universe, it wasn't that long ago. For us, of course, it's many, many, many lifetimes. But if you think about it that way, you know, it's not like we've been reading the radio waves of the universe, you know, all incoming waves for that long. We haven't really understood this stuff for more than like 60 years. So 60 years, I mean, millions of years is a blink and eye on the scope of the universe. 60 years is like a a microsecond, you know, it's, it's nothing, so, I don't know, it, 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 to me, I think there's life in other places, for sure, I'm not going to go so far as to say that they developed in a similar way to us, or that they're using TV across their nations to communicate ideas about their politics and uh, entertainment and whatnot, but I think it's probably a thing, I don't know if it's going to happen in our lifetime, but I think that at some point, humans are going to make some sort of contact with some sort of other thing. I bet. I'm willing to bet on that. Uh, like I said, though, I, I, mean, I kind of doubt it's going to happen in our lifetime because, like I said, our lifetime is, is nothing in the scheme of the universe, but it's... You know, I think it's it's something that's going to happen at some point. Maybe not even to humans. Maybe it'll be to the next intelligent life form that comes out of Earth, if there is one. You know, maybe it's dolphins. Who knows? Um, another theory to explain why we haven't heard anything is because, um, keeping in mind the scope of time and the universe, uh, people or civilizations similar to ours... Um, are always bound to destroy themselves. Which is an interesting theory because, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Is it really that far off from the path that we're on? I don't think so, you know. It was probably some sort of extremely liberal, liberal um, quote, you know, tree hugger who wrote this theory. But, uh, you know what, I'm not going to judge. And they might very well be right because... If civilizations such as ours are indeed bound to always destroy themselves, you know, then they're only going to be around for a couple hundred years tops. 
Maybe if they have a bigger planet than ours, a couple thousand. But like I said, that's nothing in the scheme of the universe. So if civilizations are always bound to destroy themselves almost as a law, then those waves, you know, that we would maybe pick up on in our lifetime or anybody else's on Earth, uh, you know, they, they would have a very small window of reaching us, you know? Who's to say that there weren't a bunch of waves going going through earth's you know path around the sun hitting us that we would have picked up on in like 1920 you know right before <laughs> just a couple decades before we were able to read that sort of thing and look for it you know i don't think we'd be able to read those same waves now you know they'd be you know decades past us and that's all it, it's all it takes i think like I said, I'm not super familiar with the science. I'm not sure if we can read waves that aren't, like, hitting Earth. You know, from my understanding, it's like light. We register it when it bounces off of stuff. We would register waves as soon as they get to the receptors that we have, our satellites that pick up the waves. From there, we could detect where they came from, you know, whether they're just bouncing off of some other uh, astral body or, or whether they're, you know, coming straight from the source and hitting us. I'm not sure if we can read waves that are moving, like, parallel to us, like, a couple thousand miles out, you know? Like, what if there's waves zooming right by Mars right now, but they're not on path to hit Earth? Would we be able to pick up those waves if they never bounce off of anything and hit Earth? You know, hit our satellites? I have no idea. Mars, maybe. We have stuff orbiting there. But, you know, I don't know. Jupiter. Who knows? Somebody, I'm sure. Lots of people, I'm sure. Me, however, no. Um, so yeah, there's that one. That one sparks a lot of thought in me. I mean, I think about that a lot when I'm not looking for content to talk about on a radio show. So, yeah, very intriguing. Is there life out there? We will probably never know. But I'm willing to bet that the answer is yes. In anticlimactic, yes. Um, okay, so now we move on. This one's kind of complex. So bear with me. Hang in there. Do your best to try to wrap your head around this one. This is called Rokos Basilisk. Okay? Um, it is a paradox slash kind of thought experiment. And it has widely been called the most terrifying thought experiment of all time. Um, upon being posted on a community blog called Less Wrong, uh, it actually catalyzed a series of nervous breakdowns and cases of depression in some individuals who read it. So I'm going to read it out loud on the air. Um, so, the crux of the thought experiment, and the central idea, um, is that mere knowledge of it is enough to bring it into play which is why you should plug your ears if you want to preserve your sanity. That said, I'm going to keep talking. Um, if eternal torment is your thing, go ahead, listen on. So, in order to understand this thought experiment, an explanation of the concept of singularity is required. So this is the theory that one day there will be a sort of bing, big bang in intelligence, namely artificial intelligence, right? AI. Um, it's the idea that it may develop to such a degree, 
so as to it'll surpass human intelligence and its human control okay so if such a theory is to be believed then the reality of Rocco's basilisk becomes pretty tangible becomes pretty pretty uh, reasonable I would say you can, you can kind of see it uh, so the thought experiment goes as follows what if in the future an artificial intelligence were to come about and decide to punish those who did not do its bidding okay and what if there were also a way for the artificial intelligence to punish people today in our time for not helping it come into existence later now I'm not talking about time travel this is where it lost me I had to read this a couple times to kinda of get it through my head but it would punish us today by simulating us into existence right and then like in its time and then and then torturing us in the simulation because we're assuming that it could do this so what if there was a way also for the artificial intelligence to punish people today for not helping it come into existence later by by simulating us to life to carry out such torture okay so we are therefore stuck in a situation um, in which we are forced into helping the artificial intelligence come into existence or be condemned to suffering eternal torment you know theoretically but this is where the paradox comes in because if you choose to help the artificial intelligence you actualize its existence when previously the possibility of its existence did not exist and if you choose to do nothing, you are really hindering implicitly its coming into existence. And you can't really plead ignorance of the fact because now, knowing of its potential coming, you know, its prospective coming, you have to you have no reason not to aid in its creation. Like I said, this is a crazy one. So bear with me. In other words, having, having like heard what I've said so far, you have no excuse for not helping this artificial intelligence of the future to come into existence. And if you actively do nothing to help it, it will lead to your eternal torment because it will simulate you to life once it does come into existence and torture you. Of course, the theory is, why would an artificial intelligence do that? Because if it came to life why would it punish things of the past assuming it could for for not helping it come into existence simply because it, it is in existence now you know it exists now so it would just kind of be completely pointless effort to punish things of the past and really this paradox is broken if you I don't know I mean the heart of it it really lies in the question like it, let's say you're dead and years from now, an exact simulation of you, your memories, your exact thought patterns, your exact neurological, you know, 
like mark, your signature, your exact physical body, everything is replicated. Let's say it's not even a simulation. It's just, it's just real. It's a clone. And maybe that's what it means by simulation. Would that clone be you? You know, would you have experienced death and then have come back from death now as this clone? Because it's you exactly. Would it be the same consciousness in there? Or would it not? For those of you that think no, there's nothing to fear from this paradox. Because that AI can simulate whatever the heck it wants, and it's not really going to affect you in your lifetime ever because your lifetime is just going to be your lifetime and eventually it will come to an end and that's where it will end. But if you assume that the exact same physiological sequence of yourself results in the exact same perception of reality as yourself, one could assume that your perception of reality would cross over, you would no longer be dead and now you'd be living in internal torment by this AI because you didn't help it come into existence after theorizing back in your day that maybe there could be an AI at some point in the future that would do this. You see what I mean? For those of you that understand and that stuck with me, great job. It's a lot to think about. Um, I personally don't understand how people had nervous breakdowns and serious bouts of depression as a result of this post because there are just there, there's too many holes for me in this situation there's too many other things to be considered you know it, there's too many things where you have to be like okay assuming that this is like fact you know then this assuming all of these things i guess it would be kind of scary you know but can you really assume all of those things? Can you really assume anything? Can you assume that anything that we perceive ever is fact? And the fact that we acknowledge paradoxes, what does it mean? The fact that we can understand that some things don't line up with what we perceive as possible reality, the fact that there's just these, these gray spaces in situations what does that mean in the grand scheme of things? The paradox of paradoxes. Who knows? Humans won't ever, probably. Oh, well. Um, yeah, so those are my paradoxes. Uh, I'm going to encourage you guys to call again if you have any paradoxes that you like that I haven't spoken of. Um... And if you have any potential solutions to any of these paradoxes, any things that you think, you know, would happen, were you perceiving them? Any thoughts on Rocco's Basilisk, our universe and alien life, going back in time, killing an ancestor, Pinocchio saying, my nose will grow now. Um, any of it, uh, go ahead and give a call. I'll read the number one more time. It is 608-785-8080. That is 608 785-8080. All right. Um, I guess I don't have any more like that I took note of, but I do remember a, a couple more. Uh, one is the movement is impossible paradox, um, which states that because 
because you have, um, let's say, okay, so let's just say a situation where um, you are walking to a building, okay? As you walk to that building, you have to move halfway there first, and then the rest of the halfway there. But as you get to that second half, you have to move half of that half, right? So uh, the last quarter of the way there. But before that, you have to move half of that distance, and before that, half of that distance. And this goes on infinitely until you get, you just have to move, you know, if you keep decreasing infinitely, you get to zero. So you have to move zero, so motion doesn't exist. So this is kind of like the, uh, it's, it's the same theory as like the arrow, the motion of an arrow paradox. So if you have an arrow that's flying through the air, at any point in time, the arrow is in one place. So if at any point in time, the arrow is in one place, you know, how is movement possible. This is a paradox that I, I read a couple times while researching other paradoxes and something that I've heard in the past, and I have mixed feelings about it because sometimes when I think about it, I'm like, wow, yeah, you know, motion's impossible. Reality is unreal. Life doesn't exist. But um, other times I'm like, I'm thinking, you know, that doesn't make sense because motion is defined as the change in position across time. So yeah, if you stop time and you make time any one singular moment, of course there's not going to be movement because it's across time. It's like looking at a, at a graph, right? You get your x and y axis. The y values change as the x values change. If you plug in one x value, you're going to get one y value for it to be a function, at least. So it's kind of a moot point, in my opinion. Um, however, mathematicians have kind of flunked this, so to speak, um, because mathematically, uh, you can say that point nine 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 infinitely really just equals 1, because... I don't want to get mathy on you guys, but I'm going to super, super quickly. Let's say that you take x equals 0.99999 to infinity, right? 0.99999999 infinitely. Okay, so then if you multiply that by 10, you get 10x equals 9.999999 infinitely, right? Because 0.9999 infinitely times 10 is 9 point, you just shift the decimal over, 9999 infinitely, right? So if you then say that 9.99999, right? So 10x minus x, which is just 0.99999, you get 9, right? Because 9.9999 infinitely minus 0.9999 infinitely is just 9. You're just subtracting all those infinite nines. Infinity minus infinity is zero, right? So you just get nine, which means nine x equals nine, which means x equals one, right? Mathematically, 0.999 infinitely equals one, theoretically, which means that any tiny little piece of movement 
up until that point zero 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 one equals zero which is why mathematicians look at this paradox and think oh motion isn't real uh that's kind of the mathematical basis for this paradox but again it's like i just i just don't really know about that i'm not so sure um yeah so this has been a pretty heavy pretty thought heavy episode here um it has been a lot to keep track of uh hopefully you guys have enjoyed the paradox talk uh there wasn't too much for you guys um i want to make sure i don't have anything else in particular planned here let's see uh oh i guess okay i don't know i'll have to just talk about some some stories some experiences now, this is something kind of funny that happened the other day. Uh, my roommate is is a big fan of making this this dip stuff. Um, he takes like a can or two of Hormel chili, and then he puts it into this big glass pan. Um, or wait, no. First, he takes a bunch of cream cheese, and he spreads it over the bottom of the pan. And then he takes a bunch of Hormel chili, dumps it over that, you know? And then he takes, like, a whole bag of shredded cheese, and he dumps that on top. And you just get this big, you know, pile of cream cheese, chili, and cheese. And then he microwaves it for, you know, whatever, like three minutes. And then it comes out all melty and, and gooey and hot and nice. And it's really good, right? But he makes this stuff, like, <laughs> like twice a week. Like, once or twice a week. And he will often eat, like, almost the whole thing. Sometimes only half, and then he'll finish it the next day. Um, but this was just kind of kind of something, something that was, I thought, pretty funny happened. He, um, and I haven't correlated him going to the bathroom uh, with, with this dip myself. I haven't noticed it. I, I just haven't paid attention to it. However, I do notice that he frequently, probably once or twice a week, is in the bathroom for a very long time and then comes out complaining about, uh, you know, a little bit of, little bit of diarrhea going on. And yesterday, he made a whole thing of this dip at like two in the afternoon. He ate like three quarters of it at, you know, by like three in the afternoon or four. And then at like six or seven... He goes in the bathroom, is in there for like 30, 40 minutes, and comes out going, oh, yeah, I just don't get it, man. Every time I go to Whitney, I get diarrhea. That place just serves bad food. It's got to just be crap for you. And I just laughed. <laughs> I just laughed. I mean, I eat there every day, you know, for three meals a day most of the time. And I don't have that. I mean, yeah, everybody's body's different. I don't know what you're eating at Whitney when you go there, but like, but I mean, dude, come on, you just ate an entire pan of chili and cheese, and you're blaming Whitney for <laughs> for your for your digestive issues. Um, 
I don't know. That was funny to me. Somebody call in if you have a certain snack that you like that gives you the craps every time. Um, or if you are in denial and you blame it on other things because you like that snack. Um, anyways, yeah. I don't know. I thought that was funny. It's a good little story. Um, I would say it's, it, it's at, I would say that it's at his expense, but he doesn't listen to the show and not a lot of people he knows do either. <laughs> and also I asked him if I could talk about that on the show and he said, yeah, so we're all good there. Um, but yeah, I thought it was pretty funny after I brought it up to him. I think he had a little bit of an epiphany and I was like, Oh, I mean, maybe and then he sat and thought for like a minute or two and he's like you know i don't think so though because i do this a lot and you know i don't have it i don't have it every time you know i don't think i I think it's i think it's just whitney um but but he he uh i think he might understand a little bit more (laughs) now um anyways yeah uh what else to talk about i don't know any listeners out there play video games you guys know uh have any good games that are fun to play multiplayer online I can get into? These days I play a lot of Apex Legends, a little bit of Dark Souls. Dark Souls is kind of a pain in the butt to do uh, online play though, so it doesn't happen all that much. Simpler stuff like Stick Fight the Game, some more to how. Uh, a lot of people are into Call of Duty these days um, than new Call of Duty, you know, of course. I don't know. I've never been a super big fan of it. Yes, all right. Um, I just don't have 60 bucks to put in a game. But I don't know. I'm looking for something new. Looking for something a little bit more interesting, you know, something to to change up the pace. And I haven't really been able to find anything. Um, I got a bit I got into Rocket League again today, hoping to continue playing Rocket League. Hopefully it doesn't get old. Um, but yeah, I don't know. These the last couple minutes, I don't really have anything specific to talk about, anything specific planned. Um, with Thanksgiving coming up, I'm excited to get back home, see the family, hang out with the family, see the cat, hang out with the cat, especially the cat, I'm not going to lie. The family's awesome, but... I've seen the family in the last month and a half-ish. I forget exactly when parent week was. But I have not seen the cat in three months. Close to. Yeah, it'll be... Wait, August is September, September, October, October. Yeah, it'll be three months. A quarter of a year. I haven't seen that guy. His name's Vinny. Vincent Talissimo. Um, he's awesome. He's a big boy, bit of a tomcat. Uh, and I'm not talking chonker, like fat. Yeah, he's got a little bit of a gut, a little bit of flab going on. It sways a bit as he walks, but I wouldn't say it drags as he walks. Uh, he is big though. Like, like his skull is like bigger than a lot of the cats that I've pet. Um, his voice, however, is not. He has a very high-pitched little meow, uh, and he likes to show it off a lot. He really likes to meow, uh, especially when he feels like he's not being fed enough, because believe it or not, 
he wants to be more of a dragger than a swear, if you know what I mean. He wants that pot gut to get a little bit bigger before he quits whining. So, come food time, he's on it. Uh, yeah, so Vincent Talissimo. I don't know if I mentioned him yet. He's a cool guy. I know I talked about rats. I think rats are awesome. I'll reaffirm that. They're awesome little pets. They're like if you took a dog and maybe a cat and you just slapped it into a little small body with a kind of weird-looking worm-like tail. Speaking of worms, <laughs> I saw this video um, on this subreddit that features what most people would consider extremely gross images of certain uh, hospital procedures uh, and like wounds and whatnot. I find it interesting much of the time. Um, they there was <laughs> there was a video of um, of worms being removed from a person's intestine. I'm so sorry for those of you that are weak of stomach listening to this in the last couple of seconds here, but apparently, I looked up this type of worm, apparently a seventh of the world's population is affected by them. It it looked like a, an entire plateful of spaghetti being removed from this large intestine. Like, there were hundreds. It was stomach-lurching for me, and I and I and I sus- I'm subscribed to that subreddit that it was on. I see stuff like that, and that was like, whoa, you know, a seventh of the population of the world has those. Ah, uh, man, holy crap! They're called Ascaris. If you want to look it up, surprisingly enough, it didn't occur to me until just earlier today. I saw this video yesterday that the Ascaris worm was actually the sample of worm that I got to dissect and look at uh, in a zoology class in high school. So, I would have been a lot more weirded out when I was dissecting that thing if I knew that they lived in swarms, spaghetti-like swarms in, in people's guts. The crazy thing is you don't even know that they're there. Like, there's zero symptoms, basically, until they get to that point where they just are filling your body. Oh, man. Uh, Again, I apologize. I feel bad even saying that on the air. But I didn't swear, so it's perfectly legal. Um, Anyways, I hope you guys all have a wonderful Thanksgiving, that you eat lots and lots of food, that you exercise your brains by thinking about paradoxes. Um, Maybe that you lose a little bit of sleep thinking about the contents of this show because you're just thinking too hard, exercising those philosophical muscles in your head, and that none of you ever have to suffer the Ascaris worm. Thanks for listening to You Dig? You Dig?